0: Hello and welcome to episode two of BDI Resources IMG Advisor podcast. Um, I'm here today with Ryan, as always. Hello. Uh, and we are going to talk about training jobs versus non-training jobs. And this is a uh, question we get asked about um, daily by lots and lots and lots of doctors mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the the big reasons for international doctors wanting to work in the NHS is that they are uh, very keen to get exposure to the training systems that are on offer here. Uh, And rightly so, because the NHS does offer some of the best training in the world. Um, That said, there are certain restrictions on who can apply to training posts and the application for training jobs. Um, You have to meet quite close criteria. So uh, it can be quite difficult to enter the UK in a training post straight uh, away. So we're going to talk to you about the difference between training jobs and non-training jobs and give you a bit of um, kind of background on the two really. Uh, And hopefully it will set your mind at ease that actually if you don't have a training job straight away, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be gaining exposure to those training things. It just means that you're not got a formal Mm. Uh, training number, um, right? Do you want to start by giving us a bit of kind of background on the situation in the NHS at the moment about the, the kind of number of vacancies and where they're where they are, that kind of
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, as everybody knows, uh, the NHS has, uh, is desperately short of doctors. Uh, so, for IMGs, it's really, really probably the best time I think um, that, that there's been over the last decade. Uh, to make that transition. Yeah. Um, I do remember, um, I'm showing my age here, uh, probably about 15 <laughs> years ago, uh, when the market was quite saturated, and I think it was quite tough for IMGs to, uh, A, secure their first job in the NHS, and and certainly, B, get into uh, a formal training position. Um, so uh, the the number of vacancies, current as it currently stands at the moment, and obviously we're not post-Brexit yet, Um, uh, but it's currently around about 10,000 vacancies I think that was the latest census from the uh, NHS employers yeah. uh, and the NHS Confederation, etc., as well, and and although the the number of IMGs applying for GMC in registration has increased by twenty five percent, um, it, that's still nowhere near plugging the gap currently, mm. uh, and the uh, and all the kind of data modelling suggests that the the number of vacancies is, is set to increase, and obviously a myriad of reasons for that. Yeah, um, a lot of uh, doctors in NHS retiring earlier. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of push and pull factors. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, a lot of UK-trained doctors are maybe going overseas to places like Australia, Canada, uh, the, maybe the US. Um, again, I think that uh, the, the investment, uh, particularly in places like Dubai, um, are building these huge, huge hospitals, where are uh, really trying to encourage yeah. um, uh, healthcare tourism, uh, so the, uh, again, a lot of doctors who've trained in the UK are, are going off, off to the uh, off to those countries as mm-hmm. well to mm-hmm. work at consultant level. And um, again, probably the biggest factor is that the UK population is growing, yeah. and also that uh, people are living a lot longer, which is great. Yeah. Uh, but presenting with what's called multimorbidity, um, so rather mm-hmm. than. Obviously, going to the doctor with, with one condition, people are presenting with multiple diseases, yeah. and and obviously that ha- they need to see different specialist, uh, specialists. So, yeah. um, so really, the, the the training system that's been put in place in the UK, and, and that is all the Royal Colleges are heavily involved in that, mm, uh, yeah. trying to um, trying to look at how many doctors we're going to need in the future, it really is a moving target and it's yeah, quite hard to predict. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think we, we've been caught fairly um, f- fairly cold with this now and the, the kind of the enormity of the, um, the, the pressures on the NHS are, 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 are now transpiring. Yeah. And, uh, and again, we just haven't trained enough doctors in the UK and, and because it takes so long to train doctors, there's no real quick fix no. um so again for the next probably 10-15 years I, I can only imagine that the the, the those ten thousand doctor doctors vacancies are either going to increase yeah. or at least stay the same
0: well hopefully hopefully there'll be lots of ings to fill yeah. them um i think the the first probably point to note when it comes to training versus non-training is how a uk doctor would go through the training route so obviously once they've left um University and they've gone into the foundation year and so on, uh, which all of you will have completed in order to get GMC registration, you'll have needed to do your internship year. So we'll assume at this stage that we're talking about training from either ST1-2, uh, sorry, CT1-2 or ST3 level. Um, the Each area of the country is broken down into deaneries, um, and the deaneries are responsible for allocating trainees, uh, obviously for taking on the trainees and allocating those trainees to hospitals around the country so every hospital in the uk will receive uh, trainees from the deaneries so whether that's a university teaching hospital or whether that's a district general hospital any hospital in the uk is going to have received trainees who are going to have to gain exposure whilst also of course doing the job of a junior doctor and helping those hospitals um uh, service their patients see their patients um in order to apply for the training posts at CT1 level and then ST3 level as well, um, particularly at ST3 level, there's there's very, very strict criteria on what you need to be able to demonstrate to uh, the Dean of Regents and Colleges to be accepted onto those training posts. Um, they're usually a set curriculum. You need to create an e-portfolio. You have to have all of your competencies signed off. So, Um, if you're going into ST3 level you need to have your core uh, competencies at CT1, 2 level signed off so a big kind of uh, checklist, tick sheet from um, a supervising consultant educational supervisor who says yes I'm I'm confident this person is competent in these areas Um, you need to uh, have demonstrated uh, teaching and training for more junior people than yourself so that you've kind of demonstrated that you can do that, Um, you well it helps to have been involved in things like audits and things like that um, any uh, studies external studies that you've done conferences you've attended mm-hmm. extra work you've done cpd work you've done there's loads and loads and loads of stuff that's essential for you um, to be able to demonstrate before you can actually apply to uh, a training post in the uk and the the reality is and this is probably the reason why it's quite difficult for IMGs to come straight into a training post is because they simply can't demonstrate a lot of those things.
1: I just thought that dad, cause there was a lot of excitement recently. wasn't there um, yeah, and that yeah. the barriers for IMGs for the visas, uh, yeah, yeah um, to to get into a training position was going to, now seemingly going to be fairly straightforward. And I think um, it's a really important point that the reality is that, it, that, that you are still going to have to, to do a service position for, I think it's in, in most
0: cases it's it's always going to be the case. I think um, what what basically happened recently was that the uh, you previously were applying in two rounds, so wave one and wave two. And in the first wave, it was only open to uh, UK and EU nationals, essentially. Um, and then there was a second wave. If all of the posts weren't filled in the first one, it would then be open to um, to IMGs to people from outside of the UK or EU. Um, they've now said that IMGs from outside the EU uh, or UK can apply in wave one, but it doesn't mean that you would be necessarily accepted in wave one or in wave two um, because of course you still wouldn't be able to demonstrate that you've got the core competencies that you would have got, that you would need to have worked in the UK to obtain or um, that you would have done, uh, uh, for example, audits in the UK healthcare system or, Um, You've attended conferences in the UK or that you've done CPD work and additional studies in the UK. So whilst there's not that uh, barrier anymore because of where you're from, um, there are still the usual barriers of of needing ideally some NHS experience in order to put together a decent e-portfolio, which shows the deaneries all the royal colleges yeah. that you're equipped to join the training post.
1: I, I don't think there's any shortcuts um no. really uh, to get into a training position no. um i think that um every single doctor um that has gone into a training position certainly that we've helped mm. have taken the traditional route which is take the the, the server's position for, for a period of time. Yeah. Get all as Dan mentioned about the competencies, get all the criteria fulfilled during that position and then apply. And yeah. you've got to stand a far, far better chance.
0: I think as well you're also going to be better equipped and ready to join that training post. You know, if you join a training post on the day that you, you join the NHS, it, particularly if you're joining that st three level, there would be an assumed Knowledge of you having completed FY1, two CT1, two, and actually, you'd probably fall, you know, fall down pretty quickly at ST3 level if you didn't know all of the things that were prerequisites. Going straight into a um, a training post, you know, it'd be like starting a, a specialist degree with having no previous knowledge or experience in 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 that field. So, yeah, it, it's actually worth taking a service post, and I don't think people should be too worried about the fact that their jobs aren't training straight away. Um, I think it's it's also really important to kind of clear up what a service post actually means because the title of it makes it sound as though you won't have any exposure to anything uh, in terms of training. Whereas in reality, I think it's actually quite different to that. The, the, The title service suggests that you're just there to see patients and do a job. Um, you're gonna, you know, get, have to work through a backlog of people, and, and that's it. You then your job's done, and, and you can move on to the next thing. But I think, well, I don't know if you agree, Ryan, but I think it's different in reality.
1: I think it is, and uh, I mean, essentially, you're gonna be doing exactly the same job as, yeah. as somebody who is in training. <laughs> that, yeah, that's yeah. the that's the reality of it. It's not um, the the trainees aren't compartmentalised somewhere else within the hospital, receiving all this great training, and, yeah, and you're yeah. gonna be left. Uh, in, a, in a room seeing patients, it's just not the case at all.
0: Yeah.
1: And I think again um, that because the NHS needs doctors, needs really good doctors from overseas, yeah. um, that there's going to be active encouragement for IMGs that they want those doctors, uh, those doctors to actually get into a training They're going to give you all the support and help when you're doing a service job mm. uh, to make sure that your portfolio is correct, that you're um, you're amassing all the. Uh, criteria to get into a training position. So uh, so the NHS in terms of, it, it's not very, it's not siloed in that way. It's no, not, you're not treated as a second class doctor, if that's no. the, the, the right word to use. But yeah. um, but I think that in terms of doing the day-to-day job, it's got to be exactly the same as a doctor in training. Yeah,
0: well, I think mostly you, you were stood next to the doctors who yeah. were in training receiving exactly the same support from the senior registrars or the consultants who are giving you the teaching mm. and training. Are you, it, you, yeah. I guess the only thing
1: is that you're not going to have an educational supervisor and that's the, the big the big difference, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
0: I yeah. think that's it. You, you may not have that, but there will usually be, if you go and search it out, there'll be someone who's happy to sign off your competencies and things like that in, mm. like, in hospital. So, yeah, I mean, the other thing to note is that actually, when you look at the job descriptions and where these jobs originate, it's often the case that the jobs that you're filling as a junior doctor or a middle grade doctor are the jobs that were left unfilled by the deanery trainees. Mm. So, of course, there's the capacity there to give you the support and the training that the people who were successful and did get onto those training posts, Mm. you're going to get exactly the same roles, basically. Um, And I think another good point
1: there as well, Dan, is that there's a very very much a distinction because um, the... Doctors who are, are in training are actually employed by Health Education England, mm. uh, whereas uh, the doctors coming on a service position are actually employed by the NHS Trust. Mm. Um, and a, a big consideration for, particularly if you're moving your family, I would say, mm. is that in, particularly when you're trying to settle into a new country, that you will have a, a 12-month contract, for example, and you won't have to move. I, yeah. I think that if you go into a formal training position, you've got to be prepared that you may be rotating through different hospitals, which geographically might be quite challenging. Mm, That's
0: very true. Very true indeed. And I think also on that, in terms of the the hospitals that you'll end up working in, um, there is a a huge, huge misconception here that uh, university teaching hospital means training post, means training job, means you'll receive training. And actually that's not the case at all. All trainees in the NHS will have to rotate amongst university teaching hospitals and district generals so it's not the case that you're going to be there will be no trainees in the district general and all the trainees will be based in the university hospital and therefore you're going to be completely detached from a siloed away as you put it right um so yeah, don't get too too concerned about that. And I think that's maybe another distinction we need to make here yeah. is that university teaching hospital in this country means that there is an undergraduate medical school attached to the hospital. So if, of course, if you're an undergraduate, then yeah, you're going to need to be at a university hospital um, because there's nowhere else you can do that training. But when it comes to uh, postgraduate training, FY1 training, FY2, CT1, mm-hmm. 2, ct one st 3 right the way up to um, your CCT or CESAR or consultant level, um it doesn't matter really whether you're in a university hospital or a smaller district yeah
1: and i think again and, and i'm not sure if it's because in other healthcare systems that private hospitals and um, well that tends to be more a private um healthcare system that the those hospitals can operate in different ways in, in, in other countries perhaps but yeah. with the nhs because it's public sector and it's ultimately one organisation, if you like. Mm. The standards are exactly the same. Mm. Um, you're not going to be um, doing things in a different way in a district general hospital as you would be at yeah. a university teaching hospital. So yeah. um, th- th- there is no difference, really. Um, mm. I-, I guess the only difference with university teaching hospitals is probably the size. And yeah, you're going to have a lot bigger. more subspecialist work, which I know is really attractive for uh, for international medical graduates. Yeah. But really... Are you going to be working as let's take paediatrics for example? Yeah. Are you really going to get a paediatric cardiology post in your first job in the UK? Likely, is no. and that's been yeah, yeah. really, really honest about that.
0: And I think as well. Even the you know, it's great to be surrounded by doctors who are doing subspecialist procedures and the real niche stuff and things like that. But are you as a doctor really going to be doing it? So, yeah, I, I think it's not so important. And also, I mean, take Bristol as a, a really good example. We've got. Um, university Hospitals of Bristol with the Bristol Royal Infirmary here which is a, an amazing tr- NHS trust and obviously it's got the, um, the university uh, status mm-hmm. um, but then you've got Southmead North Bristol Trust which is an enormous hospital with amazing facilities. I think it's actually a, quite a lot more modern than, is, yeah. than the older um, University Hospital in Bristol. So given the two that are geographically very close to us, exactly the same city, it's not that the doctors in Southmead are receiving absolutely no training whatsoever or support from their um, senior consultant colleagues and all of the trainees are based in the university hospital uh, down the road. It's simply not the case. In fact, the same doctors are rotating from one of those hospitals to the other on a six-monthly basis or even a four-monthly basis sometimes. So yeah, there's there's a some real misconceptions there Um, what would you suggest if if you're an international doctor what's the kind of pathway to making to getting from the country that you're in right now to joining a training post what's the best route how would you do it Um,
1: well using the experience of doctors that that we've helped to get training positions um, 100% take a service position and I think that um, certainly and again it depends on Depends on the individual, and it depends on the the, the doctor's comp, uh, confidence. I guess is another thing. Yeah. Because again, some some doctors we place in university and hospitals have have had a great time. Yeah. Others have really struggled because yeah. they're so busy, and and the, the, that isn't perhaps the consultant interaction they're looking for. Yeah. Um. Some doctors have gone to district general hospitals and absolutely loved it because smaller teams, yeah. less busy. Yeah. And actually they can have that one-to-one support with consultants they probably wouldn't get in a university teaching hospital. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um
1: but I think the, the core the core thing to, to take away from it is just be open. Yeah. Uh, find the right hospital for yourself for yourself and your family situation. Yeah. And um, don't discount things. Have a do the research before mm. you attend any interview. Yeah. Find out as much as you can about CQC ratings of the hospital, for example, it's really important. Yeah. Um have a look at the the kind of local community. Is it going to be right for you and your family?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, all those things, cost of living. And yep. um, th- there's so much more goes into it um, uh, to, to selecting a job than just looking at title of hospital. Uh, I would <laughs> yeah, say. Yeah, definitely. Um, but certainly, get into a service job. Do it for 12 months. Yeah. Get good references. Yeah um Absolutely. seek out the support is the other thing yes. uh, within yeah. the hospital yeah. 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 make sure that you're doing all the right things in preparation for applying yes. when the the um uh, the training positions open again yeah
0: uh,
1: and I think that's the safest way of doing it it gives you the best possible chance mm-hmm. of actually passing the interview and getting into that dream training position we getting that training number
0: yeah
1: um I, I mean I, I don't know anybody to be perfectly honest that, that, that they've gone no. straight into training and uh, and yeah I, I just I can't think of the top of my head of any any doctor that hasn't taken that traditional yeah. route to doing it there are no shortcuts in this um, you're moving to the UK for hopefully a long time yeah. with an ambition hopefully of getting into training position and becoming a consultant some way in the future mm-hmm. um, these things take time uh, just don't rush it would be my advice
0: yeah no I completely agree with all of that I think that's, um, that's really sound advice so I guess what we're saying is from from the standpoint that you're at the moment as an international doctor, apply to service jobs, um, via NHS jobs or via an agency, um, build up your portfolio, seek out the support, um, do everything you can to get yourself prepared for the training post, make the application to the training post once you've been here for a good few months and then best of luck in the training job. Um, I think that probably concludes unless you've got anything else to add right no
1: I think that, that covers it and again if you've got any questions at all just um join IMG advisor send mm-hmm. some messages in get, get ask us to give you a call I'm more than happy to talk talk you through everything okay. um so yeah I think that wraps up today's episode um next week Dan we're, we're looking at we're gonna I think we're gonna talk through tier two visas yeah indefinite leave to remain and uh British citizenship which which should be quite an interesting topic so once again thanks very much for listening to our podcast and stay tuned for the next one thanks very much